Bailey Buttery, and this is Food is Culture, a podcast. Welcome to episode 11 and the unofficial start of season two. Today's episode is a biggie, serving you lots of history with some laughs and a wonderful love story. Charmaine Stevens is an esthetician, professional dancer, extremely knowledgeable about her Caribbean roots, and always learning more. She has been plant-based for about a year, and we talk about the dishes she misses most from her childhood. Born in the heart of Toronto, raised by parents from Trinidad and Grenada, she is proud of her roots and fondly thinks back to being in the kitchen with her mom and all the wonderful foods. We go deep and talk about our spiritual connections. We talk about generations past and how during COVID, Charmaine has started digging deeper into her heritage and learning more about her family lineage. We talk about salted cod, history of black cake, green sauce, salt fish fritters, which sound delicious, eight-hour oxtail, and her plant-based food journey. We don't only talk about food. We go deep and talk about black history and how far she's traced her roots. Charmaine has found her family's name on slave registries dating back to 1834. We also have some laughs talking about the Macarena and her wonderful love story and Cupid on the TTC and a Rasta yogi who planted, pardon the pun, a different point of view in her ear. Charmaine is an old friend and someone I can't wait to hug. I have a list of things I can't wait to do when their world opens back up and hugs from family and friends is number one and she is high on this list. I love our chat and I hope you will too. Pour yourself a glass of rum and enjoy. Cheers. Hello, Charmaine. Thank you for joining me today. Hello, Billy. I'm so happy to have you here. One of my oldest and dearest friends. Oldest, oldest, yes, oldest. <laughs> well, longest, I should say, longest. But also oldest. It's also okay. oldest, but like, you know, drinking from the fountain of youth every single day. <laughs> of course, maybe. I got my secret staff. Yes. Okay, well, I'm excited to dive right in. So how would you describe your cultural background? So I am Canadian-born but I have deep roots in the Caribbean. So both sets of my grandparents come from Grenada and they both immigrated to Trinidad. So my mom was actually born in Grenada and my dad is actually his first born in his family in Trinidad. So it's very interesting. And then my mom came to Trinidad when she was a teenager for high school. So I'd say most of my cultural roots in terms of like uh, music, food, everything is very Trinidadian, mm-hmm. but, um, but there are like little dabs of, um, Grenadian in there as well. And when we would travel, we would travel to both. Mm-hmm. So I would say I'm, I'm Trini Grenadian with deep roots in Grenada. Like the majority of my family going back is full on Grenadian, which I actually found out more recently. <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of hilarious that like I thought it was mostly trainee and then I found out how deep back our Grenadian roots are and a lot of trainees actually Afro-centric trainees they actually a lot of them um a lot of their families migrated from Grenada to Trinidad for work okay. so are the yeah. islands are the islands connected or close they're very, very close. Okay. They're very, very close. So um, on, on a lot of our sort of summer trips, we would do Trinidad first, and then we'd kind of like vacation in Grenada and see some families in Grenada, but like then like, but majority of the time in Trinidad, but like they're so close. It's like literally like an hour plane ride. Oh, wow. So super close. That's super close. So growing up, um, my elementary school, we played steel pan in, in oh. the... <laughs> What? Yeah. (laughs) Canadian white girl. I was like, I got a double 
So I have to find photos, but um, in the summer, we'd have a summer camp at my elementary school and um, a couple of the teachers would do sort of like a summer exchange program. And there would be kids that would come from Trinidad and Tobago. So in my mind, I always thought of Trinidad and Tobago as like a sort of like a dual country is, would you say like Trinidad um, is like closer to Grenada? Uh, you know, good question. I don't know. I feel like because I always heard like Trinidad and Tobago, Trinidad and Tobago, almost like if, if it was well, you know together because I think yeah. like Trinidad and Tobago, like there it's like different islands. Like we also did vacation on Tobago Island as mm-hmm. well. Like vacation, it's more like a beach destination. Okay, us. Um, and I, it's so funny you say that. I just feel like it's just Trinidad and Tobago. Like yeah. Same. It's one and the same. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh. something else. I'll have to look into that. Something to research that. Because I always thought, you know, I always heard them together. It's always been together. Mm-hmm. And um, I never even really thought about it. I just feel like it's like they were probably what I can maybe assume it was like colonized. Mm-hmm. Together. The, the same together. Yeah. Right. And that's why it's like Trinidad and Tobago. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're both, they're both very close to Grenada. And when you, so would your, your grandparents lived in Tobago? No. So they lived. So no. So when they I'm moved sorry, to my, uh, so on my dad's side, before they, before they even had kids, my grandparents on my dad's side, they immigrated to Trinidad mm-hmm. for work. And then, um, so they lived in Trinidad proper, like mm-hmm. Trinidad. And, um, and so, yeah, so, and then they had my dad, my dad was the firstborn in Trinidad and, uh, yeah, Tobago, we don't have any family in Tobago. Mm-hmm. I guess I just kind of really, yeah, I, I just try to remember, yeah, we never, it was more like a vacation spot for us, but yeah. so most of our family literally is in Trinidad mm-hmm. and then more, and then we have other cousins and other distant family in Grenada. And so when you would visit, would you stay with your grandparents? Yes, I would say, yes, we would stay with, so we would split it up. So we'd stay, we would first, of course, get picked up by family members by the airport. Mm -hmm. And that was a whole big deal. So the airport was a situation because what we would do would send, we would send barrels, barrels of like goods from Canada down about three or four months before we would go. So we would pack these tall barrels with like, Cured ham, <laughs> cereal, um, bras, underwear, like all these goods because everything is so expensive there. Mm-hmm. And us being from Canada, obviously, you know, we had more money and us coming to visit, like you can't go visit with like nothing. Yeah. So the whole, I just remember my memories just being like at the airport. I, me and my Canadian selves getting a heat rash right away. <laughs> and, like, and we're waiting in this, like, this, like, back side part where all the barrels are. So the barrels had arrived. So we had to sign them out. That's and then we had funny. to figure out where they're going to ship to. So we would, yeah. And then so we would have, like, a couple barrels, like, shipped to my grandparents on my dad's side. And another couple barrels, like, shipped to my, my grandfather on my mom's side. And then my grandmother on my mom's side because they weren't together mm-hmm. so I remember this whole, I remember it being like this whole big build up with these barrels I had the choice of putting things for my for my cousins in the barrel like I would put like 
treats and toys. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And then when I was older, I would put like lipstick and nail polish, like for my cousins that were the same age. Yeah, it's, the barrels are like the biggest memory for me of how that was like. And then we get there, there was like this unraveling of like popping the lid of this barrel and pulling out all these goodies. <laughs> that's so funny. I love that. Okay. But we my grandparents and that's where we, so we'd stay at my grandparents and they live in this like kind of like a bungalow and it, it was, is built very differently than homes here. So there was always like, you had the walls and many rooms, one floor, but the walls didn't attach to the roof. Okay. They had this sort of like neat carving out of the stone. So it was very airy. So it was like for air circulation from outside. Oh, okay. And that kind of freaked me out. So being like born in Canada and coming there and realizing all kinds of mosquitoes, all kinds yeah. of flying just can come in, <laughs> geckos, <laughs> like lizards, like <laughs> oh, everything, just wildlife. But it was amazing. Yeah. My, yeah. We stayed at my, yeah. We always stayed with family. We never, for the years that we would go travel to Trinidad, we would always, like we never stayed in a hotel. Like I don't even know what a Trinidadian hotel looks like. <laughs> Wow. But that's so much fun because then you had, you know, real cooking and you got to see real life there. It wasn't like, you know, a tourist skew. It was like all day cooking for my grandmother. Like Mm. she would like, you know, star, like she would do breakfast, a lot of fried bake in the morning, which I just love, which is basically fried dough. Mm. And just like, yeah. And then we would leave, go, we go do our things and we come back. She's cooking like dinner, getting dinner ready from the afternoon. Yeah. It was like kind of, it was really, it was neat. I'm so thankful that I had, that my parents did travel there almost every summer mm-hmm. and I got to go and experience living with them. And then my grandmother on my mother's side lived in Port of Spain. So my dad's family lived in San Fernando, which is like Kind of more like, it felt like more like bush country. So okay. like across the street, there literally is like just bush. Oh, wow. And I remember my dad telling me, um, just like he would go play and there would be like snakes hanging from trees. And like, like yeah, that's his childhood. And then my grandmother lived on this hill in Port of Spain. So you would only drive up to a certain point mm-hmm. and then you'd have to walk. Oh, wow. Okay. And it's not, no, it's not a straight path. Mm-hmm. It's literally like a winding kind of path up the hill. You're hot, you have your bags and then you go up and it's like this house on stilts. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it's kind of like raised and it had like a hole underneath of the house. And then we would stay with her. Um, usually most of the time it'd be just me and my mom that would go stay with my grandmother there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my grandfather, my mom's side, he lived in more of like the city proper or like it just seemed a little bit more modern. And he had like, just like a brick, like three-story house with like rabid dog security in the front. Like they were like, these weren't friendly dogs. They literally were on chains and there was like this gate and you walk through this little path and the dogs literally can come just up to you, but not to nip you, but they literally barking. And that's, yeah, so Security we would stay in places, always family, and then we just visit family. We go to house to house to house, eat food, house, go to this house, eat some more food, go to this house, eat some more food. Like that's all our visits were in Trinidad. Sounds amazing. <laughs> when was the last time you went? Oh, I was last time I was, I was 18. Wow. And I'm 45. <laughs> so, 
haven't been since, which is really, really bad. Mm-hmm. But I have, I've had the pleasure of a lot of my family come up to visit to Canada. So mm-hmm. I kind of guiltily have just written on that. Yeah. Them, but that's one of the goals that we I want to do is do Trinidad and Grenada coming mm-hmm. 2021. Yes. Uh, if we can get this COVID out of the way, that would be like, yeah, I need to go back. Yeah. Well, so when did you start to do some more research and find out that so much of your family and you have so many roots in Grenada? I actually, you know, so it's been kind of really since COVID. Okay. And it's it's strange because I just kind of just had this sort of, well, it actually came from seeing psychic mediums. Mm -hmm. I was... I went last year to Lilydale and talked to psychic mediums and I kind of contacted some of my family members. I know this is really not on topic of this food culture, but (laughs) it's culture um, though. It's culture. But it's culture. Mm -hmm. And I realized that like, you know, some of my ancestors coming to talk to me, I didn't know who they were. I'm like, who is, who can this be? Except I did recognize my mom, Mm -hmm. which was a pleasure, but everybody else. And then that's what spearheaded me for a year. Um, I was talking to the girlfriends that I went with. They're like, Sharma, I think you really need to like look more into like your history. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? I kind of do. I feel like it's been kind of vague. I kind of just rolled with the punches with my family. I didn't really like, like anytime I would question anything, um, Caribbean, family it was pretty um I would say secretive they're just not very like forward telling of history mm-hmm. and past like you'll ask something they'll be like oh don't worry about that and that that, that, that was in the past mm-hmm. you know like, so I remember in in my teenage years trying to poke a little bit and I kind of got discouraged yeah and so after talking to mediums and I had like a lot of family members come and realized that there's a lot of ancestors around us that's what kind of sparked and then when COVID hit and you know I've got a lot of extra time yeah. <laughs> I started digging into it and I actually found I found slave registry with the surnames of both uh, my my uh, lineage of like my grandfather on my dad's side and on my mom's side, oh, wow. and that was really profound because most um, Afrocentric uh, Caribbean people are are, are descendants of slaves, mm-hmm. and we were brought to the island by you know um, by uh, British colonists um, that came there to make money and have plantations and on sugarcane plantations, mostly, most likely and livestock. And so I kind of started researching and I literally, it took me so long, but I dug and dug and dug and I found our surnames on a slave registry from 1834. That was when they stopped because that's when the British um, actually abolished slavery. So they, they were one of the first to start slavery mm-hmm. and then they were one of the first to stop it. And so the registry ended there and I saw both of the surnames from my mom's side and my dad's side. So Joseph is on my dad's side. So that's my maiden name. Mm-hmm. And then on my mother's side, it's Kador. Wow. Yeah. I was floored. Shivers. That's wow. Shivers. To and find I that like, out. Yes. And it's on, it's on the island of Caracal, which is like, like Caracu, which is kind of, um, it's a small island, it's part of Grenada, but it's a, it's a small island, like off of Grenada, but it's still, it's still like a Grenadian, it's still part of Grenada. Mm-hmm. And that's where they had a lot of plantations too. And I, I just kind of went on my little research, my little digging and I found it. Wow. It brought me so much shivers. I literally sat there in silence for, I don't know, probably about an hour. Yeah. Well, it's so, I can imagine it being so profound to, you know, be able to trace that far back. Like 1800s, that's, you know, like 1800s, that's crazy. I, 
And I know this, I know a lot of like black history. I know all that. So I know majority of the Caribbean islands. I had a girl actually ask me one day, she's like, I don't understand. Like, why do like, you know, um, some like Caribbean descent people will still call themselves African, you know, Canadian or African American. I go, because we are, even though we're from the Caribbean, we're still descendants of slaves. Mm -hmm. Like we were enslaved Africans from West Africa. Mm -hmm. So um, it's very, so, so it's very, it's, and the thing is, I'm very fortunate because there wasn't a lot of, I guess, like uh, ledgers kept, um, like organized to have like registries of like, so I was very fortunate to find that in Grenada because mm-hmm. it's kind of a bit loosey goose with sort of registering slaves. They kind of were just like property. They were like listed. So it's really interesting that I found mm-hmm. the sort of lineage. So I'm still on my hunt. There's still more I need to dig. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But just even finding that, um, you know, that information. Rock my world. Totally. My, yeah. Well, and that you sort of started this journey after speaking to a medium. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like, Your uh, ancestors want you to trace it. They, you know, they, they, they want you to know. Exactly. My girlfriend's like, girl, you need to know more about this. <laughs> and it's just like, you're right. I do. I need to do that. And then I had another psychic, I had another medium reading and I had already done my research and it came up that my mom was proud with, with what I'm doing <gasps> research family history. She's actually was super happy. So oh, that's yeah. amazing. Chills again. Yeah. Our ancestors are with us. Yes. Always. always. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to um, go back to food a little bit. Yeah. What? So, when you, what's your, did your mom cook traditional food at home? Yeah, she cooked mostly. That's what we ate. Like, um, like of course, being Canadian bored, we'd beg for the McDonald's. We'd beg for all the like, you know, Canadian stuff. But she, they cook. They cook traditional Trinidadian food. Mm-hmm. Like that was it. Like you're gonna eat what you eat like what we're co- like what I cook <laughs> so it was there was no choice there was no yeah. like things for the kids and then cooking things for the adult like traditionally we ate what adults ate yeah um that's just a very Caribbean island thing um I know in Canada it's very different there's like baby food children food you know but mm-hmm. like pretty much as a young like as a baby as babies we start eating like okay. cultural foods mm-hmm. and did your grandmothers cook similar food or was it different because they were sort of in two different places they cooked the same. They cooked the same. Yeah. Because both my parents, they didn't immigrate here. Like they were in there. Like my mom was like 22 when she came here. Mm-hmm. And then my dad was like, he's a bit older. So like they had a lot of rich of their culture and cooking. That's all the food that they knew to cook. Mm-hmm. And by the time they came here in the 70s, there was already like West Indian markets. And so you, you can buy the groceries that you need. Um, so no, they, they, it was, it's the same. Which area did you grow up in, 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 uh, in Canada, in Toronto? Yeah. So I was born at, in, uh, in Toronto general. The heart of the city. In the heart of the city. Mm -hmm. And then we were there for a bit till I was about like a toddler. And then we moved to like kind of the outskirts of Mississauga and Etobicoke. Mm -hmm. And we were in that area for a while. I went to a French immersion school there and then, and then we ended up, moving into when I was about 13 into Mississauga proper. And then I grew up most of my child, like most like the, like the rest of my childhood in Mississauga proper. Yeah. I'm a saga girl. Saga girl. Yeah. <laughs> <That works. laughs> 
Born in Toronto, though. I yes. am. My roots are in Toronto. So <laughs> I will hold that. Well, you talked about like West Indian grocery stores. So did you find that you lived in sort of um, a more multicultural area growing up? I think we, I mean, initially we didn't. So when we moved from, let's say, Toronto, Toronto, I know historically where, where actually Toronto General is, there actually was a prominent Black Caribbean culture there that that they there was like a strong cultural um place there for like people immigrating from the caribbean and then when we moved to sort of like the sort of borderline of etobicoke mississauga it wasn't Mm -hmm. it was predominantly white but but that's where my parents actually bought their first townhouse like their first home Mm -hmm. and so that's why i was put into french immersion school and i counted a lot of racism (laughs) a lot of my early years was a lot of racism and so i was very happy when we moved when I was about 13 to Mississauga Cent, like proper Mississauga. That's when there was like a lot of other Caribbean people like Jamaican and Guyanese, you know, Barbados, you know, Bayesians. And then we had a lot of Italian, Portuguese, everything. Like it was mm-hmm. a Indian, East Indian, everything. It was like a melting pot of everything. And that was like golden. And that was like almost high school, I guess. That was like, that was like, yeah, that Later was like third grade school. So I was sorry, sorry, grade, so grade six and grade, so grade seven, eight, I moved to the more central part of Mississauga mm-hmm. where culturally, like you had it all, you had it all there. So, so, so my seven, seven, eight, grade seven, eight, and then all my high school. And you preferred that, obviously. Yeah. Oh, I preferred that. And they had tons of West Indian market and foods in Mississauga. Mm-hmm. So, um, we had no problem. My mom would drag us, always dragging us shopping for food. And we would go and we'd be, and we, we got everything. Like we had everything, like condensed milk. <laughs> That's a big West Indian thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> milk and all your spices, the green sauce, like, where you, like when you can get green sauce um, to season your chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, the fish markets, they had fish markets. They had like cod, like salted cod, everything. I remember it was very different than the regular grocery store. For sure. I remember. Are there any traditional dishes that you like crave still to this day? That's very like not Canadian. You would say, okay, this is, you know, just something my mom would make. Oh, I crave. So I've been like, so what I've been craving is definitely like saltfish fritters. Mm. <laughs> And so, so saltfish is big in the Caribbean. It's big. It was big in our home. Um, I remember I was responsible in boiling the saltfish in water and I had to watch the water because it would boil down because you had to boil it for a while to boil out the salt. Mm -hmm. And so, but it was in many dishes. It was in the saltfish, the fritters. So the fritters was like kind of like a battered. um, So kind of like what you make with flour and, um, you would add garlic, green onions, parsley, mm. pimento peppers, and then you would take, you would drain the 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 uh, pot of the saltfish, and then you would just break it apart with your fingers or a fork, and then you would mix it in the batter and then fry it. Oh wow! Oh god! Like we didn't have that all the time. Like I, it was pretty. Like I I remember it was very much like when we would have like people stay over, like people visiting from Trinidad or somebody stayed over. My mom would just like fry that up in the morning because it's the best sort of like take it go 
kind of, kind of do kind of a buffet on the kitchen with it, but that's what I crave. Mm. And I'm actually plant-based and haven't had fish in almost a year. <laughs> and I am craving <laughs> saltish fritters right now. How can we make you a vegan version? Let's figure I, it out. I, I, I'm really like, I am, that's my mission for 2021 is to literally try to get my childhood dishes that I crave mm-hmm. and that and another one that the fact that you brought that up is actually cornmeal porridge mm. it's a yeah so it's a very um we would have it on like Sunday mornings after church and it's a very Caribbean thing too like cornmeal is a very Caribbean thing mm-hmm. um it's it's basically looks like it looks like like a porridge yeah. but it's cornmeal but the what what made it like this special was the condensed milk oh <laughs> and the evaporated so rich. Milk, but then there's cinnamon nutmeg cardamom and I remember my mom with the cinnamon sticks she only used cinnamon sticks like there was no like powder cinnamon in her house mm-hmm. it was cinnamon sticks and you would have that boiling with it and she would just boil it she'd boil it for like however long to make sure the cinnamon was was right in there and I can eat like bowls and bowls and bowls of that Mm. so warm so delicious so I'm actually with this sort of lockdown I'm kind of craving that Mm -hmm. and the comfort food that milk version have you seen um do you follow Tabitha Brown on Instagram yes oh she's amazing The, oh my God, I love her. Her energy and her passion for veganism and vegan food or plant-based food. I wouldn't even use the word vegan, but just like plant-based. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like she's really an inspiration. Well, and some of her sort of like dupes, like, you know, this texture, if you flavor it like this, it's just like, you know, I think I saw one that was like, um, uh, it was like a tuna tartare, but a vegan tuna tartare. And it looked amazing. I can't remember what she used for the tuna. I want to say it was a vegetable, but um, it looked amazing. And I was like, oh, I want to try that. Maybe it was watermelon, actually, now that I say it. She, like, seasoned watermelon so that it tastes like tuna tartare. Maybe. That's, that's I think, is, I think, I think you're right. I think it is watermelon. And then also for, like, let's say, like, a tuna, like, tuna salad or, or like, a tuna-ish thing, they use, actually, um, anyways, they use a type of, like, vegetable, Mm-hmm. And the way they do it, it and they add like a type of like I guess it's like a kind of like a nori, a nori, like um, fishy kind of like spice mm-hmm. that has that kind of flavor, almost like a sea kind of almost, like a fish sauce, like, maybe, or like a it's almost like a uh, a spice. They use that to give that kind of fishy taste that's not fishy. So I feel mm-hmm. like it's almost like a nori, like you know, like the yeah the seaweed. seaweed. Yeah. But it's like a, yeah, a really concentrated version of that, that they use. I can't remember what the seasoning's called. I've been meaning to order it online, but that's apparently like you, it's literally mimics like that, that taste. Mm. So, so now okay. you're on a mission to get like, I'm on a mission. remake all your childhood favorites. I am and convert them. Yes. I love that. Do you still cook some of your mom's like some of your mom's signature dishes before you became vegan because this vegan is slightly it's a newer last couple years right yeah been like almost we're coming up almost in a year in january Mm -hmm. so the one thing i really love because um was boljol so boljol is like this sort of so again involves salt fish i'm like a salt fish lover i'm pisces (laughs) It makes sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. It does. Yes. <laughs> I have a water sign. So <laughs> connect the dots here. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's like a, so what you would do again, boil the salt fish and make sure, you know, you boil until like, it's like most of the salt is out. 
you leave a little bit, but then what you would do, you would put in like a pan, you would put plum tomatoes, garlic, um, a red onion, and then you, and some peppers, like um, scotch bonnet, like mm. you would just dice all that. So you would fry that in sort of a pan, but you would keep some of the, the, the uh, plum tomato fresh mm. and not that. And then, so you would, and just the smell of that, like cooking. And then what you would do, then you would also then slice like um, a big iceberg lettuce and make it into kind of like strips. Okay. Like a cloth almost. Yes. And then you would then, yeah. So once the salt fish is done, you would then pull it apart as usual, breaking little pieces. You would put it into that, into the iceberg lettuce kind of salad. And then you would throw the toppings of what you cooked mm-hmm. on top and you mix it up. You toss it with some olive oil mm-hmm. and then having that with, with bake. Oh my God. That sounds so good. So I never made the bake. That's almost like, I, to me, that sounds like a Caribbean niçoise salad. It is. It's so, I mean, Boljol is so like, it's, I can't even, even as a kid, when you, 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 you can never get me to eat salad or rice. I didn't like, I mean, like white rice. I would never eat white rice. I was the last thing to be left on my plate, but I will gobble down Boljol like nothing. <laughs> and we would have it on like, again, like it'd be like a, a kind of like a weekend thing or like a Sunday morning like if we didn't have the porridge then we would have like that my mom would make the bake mm-hmm. it's really dense 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 bread mm-hmm. like like almost like a brick and you'd have that with that oh my god what food would she make if you were doing like a celebration you know it was your birthday and she's like okay i'm gonna make you a, a like a fancier meal um like make me or my mom or like, like what would she make for anyone like if it was any sort of special occasion was there a meal that she reserved for special occasions Yes, oxtail. Mm, my favorite. Girl. Girl. <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> oh, the smell is yeah. so good. Oh, and that pressure cooker. So let's talk about pressure cookers from back in the day. Yes. They were scary as hell. On that stove, shaking and moving, <laughs> like bouncing off the walls. <laughs> dangerous like dangerous like with a little bell that would whistle yes girl that has that has kept me away from anything that had to be pressured (laughs) never made oxtail myself because that's because i remember that's when you know the pressure coming out it was like a celebration Mm -hmm. so either people can come over or there was something like that's when my mom would buy oxtail and then you know it, it would season with like like browning so like that color is that browning yeah that's like real caribbean thing is that browning yeah and then all the different things but she would then pressure cook the meat so it would cook really fast right or faster and get really tender Mm -hmm. and then and then but then after the pressure cook then she would slow cook it for like on the stove in a pot for another however long oh my so this was like an eight hour affair oh it's a a whole thing like oxtail isn't like made fast yeah not my house (laughs) really like this nice brown and then it would like literally pull off the bone like fall mm-hmm. off the bone yes yes and you'd have that with rice or you have that with paylow you would have that and paylow was another dish that was pretty much well that that was more of a staple dish paylow is more of a staple dish but you would accompany that with like the paylow and then callaloo and yeah but, but i remember also being kind of more of like a specialty like a special thing that my mom is pulling out the pressure cooker for <laughs> that's so fun <laughs> i love that <laughs> i mean i love oxtail you know with oh. rice and peas and everything um i did too i i i, I yes <laughs> it's just to me that's you know it just 
it's just oh. so comforting and oh, it's so distinct. So well. Oh, mm-hmm. it's so, yeah, it's, it's really nice. So good. So your mom is no longer with us. No. If you could, you know, if, if you could have dinner with her, would you ask her for something specific or would you say, let me make you something? I think I would let her make me something. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's a little, you know, that's a little bratty Charmaine. Um, <laughs> was never in the kitchen. She was trying to pull me in the kitchen when I was a kid. And like, she showed me stuff and I literally would wander off and go watch TV. And she would give up. So <laughs> I'd probably do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely would have her make mackerel for me. And it's something my husband really like loved on his first meeting of my mom um because he's Canadian born but has Irish roots and is and his family's from like East Coast Nova Scotia. And so for my husband oh, oh, we were dating and that was when she met him she made him mackerel and every single time Derek was coming over it was mackerel. <laughs> and so but it's one of those dishes that it's like literally like the mackerel was like thrown in with like usually it was probably from a can I, I remember. Um, sometimes you get fresh mackerel and but then she would throw it into a fry pan and fry it with oil with oil with with garlic and and uh, onions and again pepper I just like get that and some tomatoes you throw tomatoes in there um, and just to get that really nice rich flavor and, and season it in there in the pot in in the fry pan and mm-hmm. then throw it onto rice mm-hmm. and that, that I actually miss that a lot like that's why I would actually have her make it because mm-hmm. that was one of the things that like I love that I love and my my husband to be loves and my mom loved making it like it was just yeah I, I really miss her mackerel that's so sweet yeah um, I was actually just thinking today. I, um, I don't know why I was thinking about Valentine's Day, and I love the story of how you met your husband. <laughs> Can you tell us? Will you share oh, it with us? I love the story. Okay. I will do it short. I mean, there's a long <laughs> version. I mean, that does include my husband with his sort of what was going through his head when he met me, but I'll give you sort of the edited version. Okay. So, yeah, so we met in 1996. Um, and I was at Ryerson University studying uh, theater dance. Um, and he was at Sahara School of the Arts studying music, um, engineering, and music technology. And um, when I was at Ryerson, I was hired to do the Macarena on the Dini Petty show. So they came to our school <laughs> and they found and they found a token Asian girl, a blonde girl, a brunette, and a black girl. So guess who I was? I was a black girl in the group. So we had rehearsal on Valentine's Day in 1996. Um, it was an evening. And at this point, I lived in Mississauga. So um, I would usually stay on, in, I would bunker in somebody's room in residence if I didn't want to go home. Um, and we had a late rehearsal, but, um, my dad worked in Scarborough. So I had already told my dad that morning, I'm going to be late at Ryerson, you know, rehearsing for this Macarena for this TV show that's going to be aired the following week. Mm-hmm. I will call you and you can come pick me up at Ryerson. So mm-hmm. he, he had his own company. So he's always had work to do. So he's like, okay, yeah, yeah, no problem. Just call me, call me. So we do this Macarena rehearsal. It was demeaning. He was not nice. Oh no. In Canadian girls, how we move. We didn't move like Cuban girls, all this. It was kind of not a great experience, let's just say. Okay. And so we're walking back to the subway. We're all just, you know, bitching and complaining about, about this. Mm-hmm. And 
we, I get to the subway and I'm on this and I'm like, I, I'm, I'm just talking to the girls. I'm caught up in our conversation. I totally forget about my dad. Mm-hmm. I go onto the subway and I'm on the subway and then I had to transfer onto the line going westbound. So I transferred onto the line going westbound. I sat there. I'm like, oh my God, my dad. <laughs> I'm like, oh well. <laughs> what am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> at Spadina Station. Yeah. And I'm like, should, like, should I get out now? Use the payphone because there's no cell phone. Yeah. And I decided, no, I'm just going to sit here. I'll deal with him. Get home. <laughs> I'll go to Islington Station, take the bus, and then I'll figure it out. Yeah. Anyway, so at that point, the door's open and this guy walks on. And I kind of caught a glimpse of him walking by. He was wearing this tan leather jacket, like this tan sort of like, it looked like Timberlands on his back, like the same coat. <laughs> And then he sat down and he sat down across from me. And at this point, the subway was a very different situation. Not like what it's now. Um, you really did not make eye contact with people on the subway in, in, in the 90s. You had a lot of sketchy people. You had a lot of people trying to like, you know, pick you up or cuss you out if you didn't, you know, take their offer. Mm-hmm. So I made a point not to make eye contact with anybody. I literally always had my hoodie on and I usually would be reading a book or studying, you know, dance history or something I, I need to study. Yeah. But I looked up at this point and I saw him and he looked at me and then he kind of turned his head. I turned my head. I was like, oh no, what did I just do? I broke my rule. <laughs> but I caught, so then I'm like, well, he had a little smile on his face. I was like, it was kind of cute. So I looked over again. I caught him looking at me mm-hmm. and then he looked away. So we did that the whole ride, Billy. Like the oh whole my goodness. ride back and forth, like catching each other, glimping, kind of smiling, kind of smiling, almost like, like this is kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And there was this, this man that was kind of slightly in between us he, he looked like he was a bit homeless. Like I probably mm-hmm. was homeless, but he caught it. He was looking at the both of us and we both remember him looking at us like smiling, like he knew what was going on. Yeah. I feel like he was Cupid. Like oh I feel like, goodness. He was like, yes. <gasps> so like, like home, like homeless. Like uh-huh. he wasn't like, you know, but the way he was looking at me, looking at my husband, Derek and looking like seeing what was going on, like he mm-hmm. caught it. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I like, stood up. Have you ever seen the movie Adjustment Bureau? No. Okay, you should watch it. It's it's more of like a thriller, but like the couple kind of in the McKinney meets on a bus, and it's kind of like oh, you know, Cupid. Like your little Cupid was there to make sure and kind right. of followed you from Ryerson to make sure that you were on that train. Is <laughs> <laughs> it's like I like we both. I remember me and Derek kind of looking at the guy and laughing. Yeah. Like on here, like this is like so crazy. So my so my stop was coming up, which is like Islington. If anybody's from Toronto, they know Islington Station. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the Mississauga connection to the buses to Mississauga, mm-hmm. and then Kipling is the buses to into to Etobicoke, which is more closer to Toronto. So, um, so my station was coming up, so I put my knapsack on on really slowly, kind of to like <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm getting off, yeah. And and then I stood up and I stood up to face the door. So that means my back was towards him. And out of nowhere, Billy, I I, I mean, every time I think about this, it's like almost like, I don't know if anybody remembers the, um, the TV show, the uh, bionic woman. So, or, or, or like bionic man where they would show them they're moving, but it's like kind of staccato how they're moving in slow motion. It's like, it's like, it felt like my Something in me moved before my body did. Okay. So I turned around and I'm facing, I'm like, hi, I'm Charmaine. What's your name? And <laughs> never, ever 
ever done that ever, ever in the history of Charmaine before. I've never done that before. Yeah. And he's sitting down. So he looks up. He's like, oh, hi. Yeah, I'm, I'm Derek. So we we shake hands. And then <laughs> and then he kind of looks down. And then I'm like, oh, um, I guess isn't this isn't your, it's your stop. Um, he's like, no, well, my, like my stop is um, Kipling. I'm like, oh. And then he kind of put his head down again. So I'm towering over him. <laughs> and then I start to get this flood of shame. Aww. And I take off. I just turn around and I leave. <laughs> oh, my God. So then I'm on the escalator talking to myself, like probably mumbling to myself, like, Sharm, like, what did you do? Like, you know what? Like, what are you doing? Meeting, you know, boys on the subway. They can be like, you know, like psychos. They can be like serial killers. Like, mm-hmm. just what are you doing? Like, you broke your rule and like you turn around and you like, I, like say your name. And literally was like, and then all of a sudden I turn around on the escalator. I just kind of glance down and there he is. <gasps> So he got the train. Oh my god! <laughs> and then so the, the comes up to the platform, and I'm like, and he comes up, and he's like, "Hey!" I'm like, "Hey!" Right? <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh!" Um, I go, "I thought you were getting off at Kipling." He's like, "Well, of course I was going to get off at Islington." I'm like, "Okay," <laughs> you know. Talking. We just started exchanging, like, in, like we just started, like, he was like, "Where are you coming from?" I'm like, "I'm coming from Ryerson. I'm a dancer." And he's like, "Oh, I'm I'm into music." I'm like, "Okay, so we're both artists." And I'm like, "That's kind of cool." And then because I had bad experience of dating before, I kind of did something I never did before. I kind of stopped him because we were kind of, you know, I can see that I was like interested. Mm-hmm. And then I stopped myself. I go, Hey, I go, first of all, are you seeing somebody? Are you kind of seeing somebody? Are you half seeing somebody? Because if you're into any type of relationship, I don't want this. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> On the platform. This is 30 seconds into meeting him. Literally. I'm right there. And then he was just like, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm completely free. I'm not seeing anybody. And then what I noticed is that his bottom lip was like twitching. Mm -hmm. And I found that so endearing because I had other guys approach me, you know, all suave and really cool. I've never had somebody that like was nervous around me. Mm -hmm. Like he was like nervous, but he still was like gutsy to come talk to me and I just found that like that's my heart just like melted I was yeah. like oh my god he's nervous talk to me really and so mm-hmm. then we just like talked and then we went and then we started talking that was getting ladies like okay so we go to the phones <laughs> to exchange <laughs> I don't know why we walked over to like the phone room to exchange <laughs> so, yeah, and he um, I gave him my number because I had my own phone line at the time mm-hmm. and I was really proud of that I had my own phone line to my I mean, that so was like, the height of the '90s. Like you knew, you had made it. Yes, you made it. <laughs> I had my own phone line, and yeah, so I gave him my number, and they exchanged, and and then he said, "Hey, like, like, do you know what day it is today?" I'm like, "Yeah, I do." Um, and it's Valentine's Day. He goes, "Yeah." I go, he goes, "I guess it's turning out to be a good one." I'm like, "Yeah," and he's like, "Okay, get home safe. I'll I'll call you. You know, I'll call you at like 11:30." So we planned to talk at 1130 that night. Mm-hmm. First I get home, it's 1130. And I'm like, where is this boy? Why is he calling me? So I call him and he's like, um, like you haven't called. Oh my God. I, oh my God. <laughs> Listen, I don't know what was happening to me. I don't know who was pushing me. And then he's like, well, how can I call if I'm on the phone? I'm like, what? This boy is rude. But I was like, I kind of <laughs> like that. And then, <laughs> and then we, then he called me back. We were on the phone from eight. From like a like you know 
almost like 1130 in, in the evening till about 4am. Oh my goodness. We just hit it off. And you know, the rest is history. And the rest is history. (laughs) For 25 years, this coming February that we met. Uh And then we've been married for 18. But I mean, I think there's like such a good lesson in there. You just got to be upfront and I I don't let Cupid do his job. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure if I want to recommend that to everybody, everybody, but it works in my favor. Yes. Um, In the 90s. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, I love that story. It's honest, like my face hurts from smiling. Like I love that story so much. It's kind of crazy because also that day I was also male bashing like crazy. So I was in a theater school at Ryerson and all of these girls were getting heart-shaped cookies. They were getting like flowers sent to their locker. They were like, you know, like the whole mm-hmm. like theater, dance theater building was like full of like all the stuff. And I've had bad experiences before that. And I was like, men are crap. They're full of, they're full of it. They're only good for one day. You know, they're good one day of the year. I was male bashing like mad. <laughs> and this is what happens to me on that day. Cupid was like, listen, girl, <laughs> listen. <laughs> <laughs> and your dad was fine. Your dad was like, okay, I forgive oh, I you. I was like, what are you doing? I'm, like, I'm all in this daze. I'm all like, what? Lala, head in the clouds. And I, I, I forgot my dad. I'm like, oh, yeah. And then mom called my dad to come home. So. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But I'm sure your dad's forgiven you after all these years. Oh, I'm sure. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Crazy. What um what was your first date? Oh my gosh. Our first date was we what did we do? We went to we went to Eaton Center, but I think we ended up at the reference library. (laughs) (laughs) And I and his his stomach was kind of hurting him. And so I I because it's a very Caribbean thing to get peppermint tea for your belly when your belly's aching. Mm -hmm. So we went and got peppermint tea and we sat in the reference library. That's so cute. With peppermint tea for his belly. This is like such a Toronto relationship. Like you met on the TTC, you went to Ian Center, you went to the reference library. Love it. Yeah, went to the reference library, like one account. I love it. And and also too before our first date actually, which is very crazy because I actually end up I actually picked him up. So so the thing is, I the, the this this uh, Jeannie Penny show was airing that day that we had our first date. So it was like a week. It was a Wednesday that we met, and a week later on the Wednesday they were airing the Jeannie Penny show. And I regretted telling him on that because I was like, oh my god, what? I don't even know what I'm going to look like. I think they see me bouncing around to, like doing the Macarena mm-hmm. on this damn show. <laughs> Right. So I was a little bit like, why did I tell him? Like I gave all the information. So him and his mom watched me. That's so cute. (laughs) (laughs) Macarena. Yeah. Oh my God. So funny. Yeah. So So 90s. That's so 90s. Oh my God. I was trying to teach it to Rome uh, last week. It's on one of his like kids playlists. And I started dancing and I was like, what are you doing? And I was like, come, let me teach you. Oh my God, so cute. That is so crazy. You were teaching him that like last week and that like we're talking about it now. That's yeah. Crazy. Literally. And then Rona walked in and Rona, we started doing it all together. The whole family. Oh my God. <laughs> like holding Aria in one hand and you doing it. 
And then you save it and you show it to them later. Yes. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that story with us. Oh, I love it. Thank you for even, yes. It's I quite the it. story. What would you say? Because I think you we were sort of talking maybe about a year ago when you had first started thinking about becoming vegan. And you had said, I think you were, when it was in Jamaica and you were having all this fresh fruit and you felt so sort of like revitalized about it. Was that sort of like your inkling yeah. to go vegan? That was kind of, it's interesting. So we were doing, we went to this resort and they had this um, Rasta Yogi. So he's Rasta Fairy, but Yogi. And so we took, you know, his classes. And this man, like, he didn't move, but you can, like, I knew he was older. Like, I was, like, putting him, like, like in his 70s at least and doing things that I know a lot of people that are much younger can't do. And I'm a dancer, so I'm very flexible. I understand, like, position and body. And I was just shocked of what he can do. So we, on our last day with him, we were talking to him after and we I kind of I guess I was just propping so I was already kind of like you know reading up on like plant-based and what it can do for your body because I'm still dancing at some capacity now into my 40s um, I'm dealing with like a lot of inflammation like post-recovery inflammation so I was kind of reading on that so when I was talking so I've seen this man you know do stretches and lunges and just like a pro and I asked him I go are you are you vegetarian? Are you vegan? He's like, I, I don't have no labels. I'm plant, I'm plant-based. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh. And I said, I go, how old are you? And he's like, he goes, sister, I don't talk in age. I talk in stages. I'm like, Oh, okay. I go, so what stage? He goes, I'm in my eighth stage. So he's like in his eighties. Wow. And yes. And he looked amazing. And he says, I eat things that are alive. I don't eat things that are dead. Uh-huh. And I want live. I want to be alive. I want the vitality of life in me. I don't want, I do not want anything of death. And so that stuck with me. Wow. Me and my husband, we both like, we literally were like, it makes so much sense. He goes, I want that energy. I want to feed my body with that energy. And he showed me this, this scar on his arm. He goes, you, 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 you see this, this scab and this, this scar. I just cut myself two days ago and look, it heals so fast. Wow. In right? 80, I mean. In 80. He, well, he was in an eighth stage. Eighth stage. So we, me and my hubby use that now. Yeah. <laughs> we, say, we say stages. I love that. Right? Yeah. So that, that, that was profound. That stuck with us for about, a, I mean, really for about a year, mm-hmm. like for our, like maybe short of a year that we kind of, it just really was on my mind. I couldn't get out of my system and seeing how active we both were. Like my husband also does boxing. And so and we, the recovery when you're older is just horrendous. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean. It takes like, it feels like it could take a week to recover. For sure. From, you know, so we decided, yeah, in January, let's, let's do this. Let's see what it does for us. And we also both have cancers in our family. So my mom died of cancer. His, his dad died of cancer. And there's, there's a lot of, you know, correlation and studies done with the correlation with, you know, plant, you know, with, with sort of animal-based foods and linked to cancer. Mm -hmm. And we do have a direct link to cancer in our family. So we said, you know what, let's just see how it does. Let's see how our body does. Let's see how we feel. And honestly, my body feels quite amazing. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, there is a difference in energy. There's a difference in sort of, um, we're not as anxious, Mm -hmm. which is very interesting. We don't have that anxious energy, especially throughout this COVID. I mean, and so that's what really catalyzed it. It was really that Rastafarian, you know, yogi, he really got into my my brain and mm-hmm. I was like really thinking about it for months and months. And it, it took months and months after that before we did it. Like we literally, I was just like, but, but we would talk about it and we bring it up. So yeah, so it's been a, tra- it's been a, 
a transition. I'm not saying, I'll, you know, I, it's tricky because even going back to all my traditional, like, you know, Trinidadian foods, like there's a cultural aspect, right? <laughs> I'm just like kind of, I don't know if it's in my brain or it's like, I'm just missing it DNA wise. So we'll see for the future. I don't know. I mean, everything in moderation, including moderation. Everything in moderation, including moderation. <laughs> Yeah. I love that. I love that. Including moderation. Yes. I'm going to use that. You know, sometimes you just need the oxtail. You need the eight hour. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the love that goes into like the, the process of that. Like, mm-hmm. and you know, but one thing I'm not, cause you brought up something that also that I was thinking that I would have my mom make is black cake, black cake girl. What is that? I can, that morning, noon and night. <laughs> I think I know there's egg in that and I will eat it because it is just like, I will not give a black cake. <laughs> what is that? Is it like just like chocolate cake? No. So black cake is, so black cake is like, okay. So it's like a, a fruit cake. So fruit cake to more like North Americanized sort of like thinking of what the cake could be similar to. Okay. Um, so almost but, like maybe a Christmas fruit cake. Which it's like a dense. Christmas fruit cake, but very different. Okay. <laughs> very different. So it's a process. So that's another process. So they take like things like, so you would take dry fruits like raisins. Um, you would take plum, currants, uh, cherries, and then you would take a large amount. And my my dad was always in charge of using the blender and blending it up, so it'd make it like really, really like small, so it wasn't chunky. Mm-hmm. And then what you would do, you would be a champion if you started the process, let's say three months before Christmas. So you would soak that in rum, mm-hmm. rum and brandy for months. Wow. And so that all those um, dried fruits, everything would just soak up all that rum and brandy. And then, then when you're ready to cook with it, then, then you would cook with it. You'd make your batter. So it'd be like all purpose flour. But then what you also add is molasses. Mm. And then cinnamon. Um, some people also, you'll find hints of ginger in theirs. You'll find um, lemon, um, like some like, like citrus. And it's actually kind of, it's kind of a thing throughout the whole Caribbean. So every island has their version of the black cake. And what it comes from is colonialism. Mm-hmm. So it came from the Brits. <laughs> well, I was going to say, my, like my grandma makes something similar every year. Is it plum cake? No, it's like this, like fruit cake, and you soak it with rum for like a couple weeks. Yes. All the different and like I think candy and ginger, candy, you know, uh, orange yes. rinds, plums, raisins, currants, like everything. And it yep. sounds like sort of similar. It, it's actually that's where it comes from. Wow. So the only thing that makes it black cake and makes it more like Afrocentric from like the African enslaved that they kind of took on and made their own was is the rum. Is the rum and and the sort of using the molasses. Mm-hmm. Um, in it and then what they would do what would happen that you would bake it or even like the sugar so you also added sugar as well and that burnt sugar gave it that blackness so the longer you cooked it the blacker the cake would get mm. and then and then you would then soak it some more some more wow. <laughs> after it and that's honestly Billy it's it's a thing that you would like I remember all these little foil packages on my on like on our kitchen counter of different people. So something that different Caribbean families give each other. Mm-hmm. So you would give your version of yours, you know, we would give ours. So there would always be like this collection of different black cakes mm-hmm. in our place. But I just loved my mom. Like the Trinidadian black cake is so black. Like mm-hmm. it literally is black. And and it's dense. So it's not fluffy. It's very, very dense. Mm-hmm. 
And um, how my mom did it, she really grounded up those fruits. So you never had chunks of fruit. Mm-hmm. It was like part of the cake. Yes. That sounds so good. Because my problem with fruitcake is I don't really like the big chunks of fruit. I find yes. them, they're just too chewy. But if they're like ground up really tiny, that sounds delicious. Me too. Mm-hmm. And that's like some people's versions. So some, some, some island versions, they have it a little bit more chunkier. Mm-hmm. So when you slice um, into it, it almost looks like a mosaic, which is so pretty, <laughs> but I just don't really like eating it. I don't like it. I'm not a fan of cherry. I don't know. I know people have cherries. I don't, I don't know. Something creeps me out about it like chunk of it too I just can't and then in the middle of my cake I can't <laughs> yeah. so for me I don't want it I know it's all in there I don't need to see it mm-hmm. and black cake is like that's one thing I'm like so I'm gonna so 2021 I am going to make you I'm gonna make you miss Miss Baker here, my Baker <laughs> five, who bakes me the goodies. I'm going to make you my first black cake. Oh, that is please. I am going to do the process. I probably will start mm. doing my my soaking in probably end of August, September for the Christmas season. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm going to so be excited. Put it in jars and have it do its thing. And and yeah, I'm doing it. Oh, I'm forward. so excited already. That sounds fantastic. That is my that is my 20, 2021 goal is to make my own black cake, make the one like how my mom did it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, and I mean, the crust sounds so good. So one time by accident, um, Rome is obviously obsessed with banana bread, as is everybody else during the pandemic. And one time we ran out of brown sugar, so I just used regular sugar, um, which burns and cooks faster in the oven. So, but Rome loved it because the uh, banana bread had this like, you know, thick, crusty coating on it, uh, on the little muffin. And Rome was like, mommy, this is the best one. Um, But that's probably because of the molasses, it creates that sort of dark crust on it. Exactly. That's then, and that's what creates that even that the, even the rich color and that's that taste because it is because like molasses is actually is like the byproduct of making sugar of processing sugar mm-hmm. and and it's and, and there's an it's kind of interesting that black cake is kind of like this universal thing throughout the Caribbean because it's seeped in a lot of like history mm-hmm. really really kind of like sad history of enslavement because that it was sugar plantations that, you know, the enslaved Africans from West Africa worked, mm-hmm. but, and then that molasses that the Brits made money off of, they sent to North America to be distilled into rum. Mm-hmm. And that's also what seeps in the black cake. Mm-hmm. And then that rum also has a sorted history with um, around the 15th century, 16th century, they, the year, the colonizer would actually go to West Africa and trade uh, slaves. So, um, African chiefs would sell their their slaves to these European colonizers and in trade for rum. Wow. So it's interesting and I find it kind of it's it's a neat some it's a it's a it's a a symbol like a symbolic mm-hmm. of sort of the deep roots of slavery in the Caribbean and all the Caribbean islands. But the fact that this black cake is such an integral thing for like Christmas, even for mm-hmm. weddings. Like, I had a I had a black cake at my wedding. Like I had a regular oh, wow. cake, like a three tiered cake. But my mom said you have to have black cake. Like black cake is like if you're a Caribbean black, you had a black cake either as your cake mm-hmm. or as like your bombonier. Yeah. So you would have little you go home with like little boxes of black cake. So it's yeah. a very symbolic in sort of the tradition of celebration with with Caribbean culture but yet when you look at the ingredients in it it's Mm -hmm. steeped in like slavery history totally well and food history too because I'm sure all these you know dried fruits were 
you know, dried at the peak of their ripeness in their harvest season and then collected and kept for a celebration, which would be like Christmas and saved and then celebrated and all put together um, and celebrated at Christmas in this cake. It's, and it's very British. Like mm-hmm. Brit- the British are the ones that, I mean, obviously the ones that colonize a lot of. So it's British, Portuguese, French that colonize a lot of the islands, uh, Dutch and some of them. Mm-hmm. But that whole like preserving of fruit is very British. It goes mm-hmm. way back to like the Victorian era mm-hmm. of British. You, so, so there's a lot of like British influence, like colonial influence in Caribbean food. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting to look into that because you still feel the, it's still the presence of British colonialism is like deep in our, in our foods. Like saltfish is definitely like was brought over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like that's not a way of to preserve fish. Yeah, to preserve fish. Mm-hmm. And it was brought over. And that also has a weird sort of history that it was used as fertilizer for uh, some plantations. Mm-hmm. And so the slaves, they would keep some of it, mm-hmm. right? Because they knew they can boil out the boil out the salt mm-hmm. and actually use it as extra food because they were all re- always rationed. They never ate enough food. Yeah. And, and the little plot of land they may have in front of their slave quarters was really small and not the best land to grow their own crops. So they, they usually, sometimes the crops wouldn't turn out, some of the crops would be whatever. So they had to do whatever they had to, to survive because they usually would eat before they would go out to the fields. Mm-hmm. And then they, they would be working at sunup sundown they wouldn't be eating there's no there's no lunch breaks there's no time to break for lunch or anything they they worked the entire day until sundown so salt fish was a very interesting extra part they were able to nourish themselves by saving by you know taking little morsels here and there Mm -hmm. and then finding a way to boil out the salt and Mm -hmm. and then throw into their dishes like jamaica like ackee and salt fish like Mm -hmm. that's their like national dish yeah Right. So it's a very interesting when you kind of look back and you look at these things that are still part of our sort of Caribbean culture, like Trinidad, Grenadian, Jamaican. And when you look at sort of the history of it, like it's fascinating. It's kind of beautiful that it still exists, but it's also good to know where what the history is. Totally. Well, and it's something that was sort of born out of necessity to survive and to eat. Um, But, you know, it's the traditions that are passed down and the flavors and all of that that's passed down. And, you know, it's still continue today it's it's and amazing. celebrated now almost it's celebrated mm-hmm. like it's like you cannot have a caribbean christmas a black uh-huh. and when i think of all the ingredients i'm like oh my god like there's so much history with this ingredients like like slave laborers people were like beaten brutal like it was yeah. it was a brutal time for the people that produce sugar mm-hmm. like for my ancestors that produce sugar but yet it's in one of our favorite yeah (laughs) like foods right to celebrate it's very interesting it's mind-blowing really fascinating I I I find all this is very 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 fascinating wow Um, and amazing that you know that history and that you've looked into it yeah it's it's been over the years I've always just like I just started like when I realized you know high school school doesn't really teach a lot of black barely any black history yeah and if it is it's very limited to American um sort of slavery history, not a lot of like Caribbean. And, and when you look at there are a lot of like immigrants, Caribbean immigrants that immigrate here mm-hmm. and there's a lot of, and it wasn't only Africans that were enslaved there. You have like also indentured slaves of Indian descent of East India. So they were indentured slaves. So they were slaves that were brought as servants and they're able to, they would work off their, their, their uh, servitude in like, I don't know, 10 years, 
30 years and then they could be free. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, it was still slavery, but it's a little, it was a little different. Like African slaves were just owned. Like mm-hmm. there was no ever going to be any sort of type of freedom. And then there was a, in a, there was sort of like an idea of freedom with indentured slavery. So a lot of even the dishes in Trinidad have a lot of East Indian influences in, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. It has a very East Indian background from it, mixed with the colonial British. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and then the West African, like you, like you take Kalaloo. Mm-hmm. Kalaloo is this green, it looks like almost like green soup, but it's made from dashing bush and made with like palm oil. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and it's made with okra and it's blended. Um, sometimes crab is put in there. Sometimes pork mm-hmm. bits are put in there, but that comes from West Africa. That That's like way back. Like there's people that went to West Africa in the 1400s and had this dish. Wow. So it came with the African slaves when they came over, um, they brought that, that tradition, like they, they, they carried out that tradition in the Caribbean. Um, and it's still like, you go to any sort of, you know, Trinidad, you know, like Trinidadian or Jamaican, there's always Kalaloo. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's fascinating. Sometimes I think, you know, if you, well, I think you sort of touched on this earlier when you say, um, when you said that someone says they're from Jamaican, but they'll say they're, you know, African Canadian, as opposed to just Jamaican or just, yeah. you know, um, just from any any of the Caribbean countries. And it's this idea that all these countries are so multicultural because of all the countries that brought slaves to those countries mm-hmm. yes. and how colonized and everything, all the history there. It's so, it's, it's very interesting because I think e- even within the Black community, like there's people that don't want to use the African, you know, as a herd. They want to say that, you know, they are, you know, they're Jamaican, they're mm-hmm. Trini, they're this and that, which is also accurate because they are, like they mm-hmm. actually aren't in terms of culture. They didn't, they're, they, they're not from, like they didn't live in Africa. Like culture, like the African culture is not them. It's, it's Trinidadian mm-hmm. or, you know, it's, it's Bayesian, it's St. Kitt. So mm-hmm. I get, I get that. So it's just, I mean, it's, it, but our roots are in that, the like, ancestors and heritage. Exactly. Most of the Caribbean, the enslaved Africans were from West Africa. But I mean, it's really hard to tell. Like, that's where it stops for a lot of us. I have no idea. Like, am I like Ghanaian, Nigerian, Sierra Leone, mm-hmm. Mali? Like, there's a whole coast there, but it was that coast where they would, they, they came from. Where the trade happened. Yeah, where the trades happen and trade at first and then eventually just take. Yeah. <laughs> we got into the 17th century, 18th, it was just steal, like stolen people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have you thought about doing one of those ancestry kits? Uh, I, okay, initially, yes, but um, just for political reasons, I'm not really into giving up my DNA just. Mm-hmm willingly mm-hmm. um i feel the same and where to go and just with the changing times i don't know how that i mean just being you know a black female with like tumultuous i just don't feel it's something i really want to do at the moment mm-hmm. um my husband is ve- venomly against <laughs> my <laughs> husband too he's like why would you hand over your dna exactly. <laughs> Think about the courts. Like they used to have like court um court papers filed before they could even get your DNA, like to mm-hmm. test you for like for your DNA for anything to link to a crime or anything. Mm-hmm. And and that's for criminals. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, a lot of people I know they see as harmless, and it is. I mean, majority of the time it, it totally is harmless. I kind of feel that I mean, I don't really need my DNA because I kind of know I know some of my family history in terms of I know on my dad's side. 
um, because Portugal colonized Grenada first. Mm-hmm. I think they were the first colonizers. And then the British then came in. They went back and forth. And then the, the French came in there at some point. Like Grenada has been colonized and over-colonized like so many times mm-hmm. by so many different European countries. But we have Portuguese. Uh, my great-great-grandmother is actually Portuguese on my dad's side. Wow. I know. <laughs> and then married African descent, obviously, from the and then was what the story is, she was like kind of disowned from her family mm-hmm. for marrying outside her race. Wow. And then and so my and grandfather this is like hundreds of years ago too. It's crazy. And my grandfather, so you can see it definitely. My my grandfather had this sort of like mixed wavy hair like my dad's dad mm-hmm. and then he my dad and that whole side had that my my aunt my dad's sister remembers brushing her great her because she because you know they had kids young right mm-hmm. so she would have known her great-grandmother mm-hmm. right yeah and and so brushing her hair wow like his memories my, my aunt remembers brushing her long hair down her back wow. yeah when she was like little little so yeah, it's interesting, eh? It is. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, like there's so much like there's such such a like a mix up melting pot kind of. So I understand why you know culturally some people don't want to use the African. So if you talk sort of more history and science, you can trace that. But mm-hmm. in terms of culture, like what you've lived, it's it's what you've lived. Right. You know what I mean? Of course. I can say I'm. I, I'd say I'm very like I'm very Canadian. Mm-hmm. Like my culture is. Canadian, but I also have that mix up mashup with like, like Trinidad and Grenada just because of my home. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So well, the what you like, learned at home, obviously your parents, especially your mother really kept that alive with the cooking. Exactly. And, yeah. exactly. So I always usually say Canadian first because mm-hmm. I am, I'm born, I'm Canadian born. So I'm yeah. Canadian first. I mean, in Toronto general, you cannot get more Toronto than that. <laughs> I can't get more Toronto than that. <laughs> I mean, I was born in Toronto general, like it's, it's Toronto. <laughs> in Toronto, we are Toronto natives. Yes, yes. That's oh amazing. God. Well, I had so much fun today. Oh my God, that was great, Billy. Um, so share your social media handle so people can, you know, follow along on your journey. So I'm at Sharonse Dance on Instagram. So it's at Sharonse, so C-H-A-R-O-N-C-E, Asante Goo, and then lowercase dash, dance and no one's gonna believe her age when they're gonna go there and be like wow she's what no okay <laughs> so yeah so that's my page that's where i share a lot of my journey of learning even more of like black history black lives matter movement i post a lot of content on that and also with a dash and dab of dance of pole dance and my passion for dance and dancing is also in there so well and I feel I've even learned so much about food history and um the woman that invented the spatula was a black woman yes I thought that yeah Yeah. and I think it's very important I don't know I feel like since like the upheaval of like sort of resurgence of Black Lives Matter with the, the death of George Floyd and I feel like there's just so much that has been swept under the rug like black inventors just history even like I've been posting a lot of black Canadian history because mm-hmm. if we do hear a lot of black history a lot of American history mm-hmm. so it's really I find it really important to understand like the black people are pioneers here as well like you know not just like the white vision of pioneers mm-hmm. there's like pioneers that came here the same time as like Scottish Irish 
um, that also set up roots, right? They were mm-hmm. usually escaped slaves, freed slaves or escaped slaves. A majority were escaped slaves on the Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. So my page is like a whole plethora of history, just really fun facts to learn. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like I've learned more about Black history and so much history just in the last year than I ever learned in all my years in elementary and high school. You know, what does that say? What what do we really learn? You know, like obviously I understood that Underground Railroad, but Mm -hmm. if you ask me, you know, what province came, Mm -hmm. you know, what state was it led in this? Like, I have no idea, you know? Um, So I think it's so important that these conversations are being had so the next generation can learn these things in school. Yeah, like Rome mm-hmm. and Aria, like, I mean, it'd be great that they understand the full fabric. And I'm just, I mean, obviously I'm focused on Black Lives Matter because I'm Black. And, um, but like even about Indigenous and um, what happened with, with Indigenous culture, like the first sort of like, you know, victims of colonization mm-hmm. was Indigenous. And even that was brushed over. So I touch on some of that, but I kind of feel like it's, you know, I'm going to let like people of that descent, like expand on that by mm-hmm. do do you include them also? And I feel just in terms of like history of, let's say, you know, the Chinese culture, them coming, like, I feel like it's just like the, the fabric of what being Canadian and our, in the historical and the, like the historical wrongs that were done by Canada that they've buried a lot. Mm-hmm. I feel need to come to light. Like it's time to appeal this stuff to heal. Totally. All about healing. Well, and you know, obviously, the big topic this year was um, when interracial marriage was became legal because it was illegal yes. for so long, yeah. and really not that long ago. And when you think of it in terms of that, like it's so crazy to think, you know, our marriages would be um, illegal. One, would be <laughs> one lifetime ago, you know, in our in our in our parents' That's generation, like nineteen sixty-seven was when they passed it, which so is it's crazy. No, crazy. It's crazy. Like. Yeah, like both you and I in interracial marriages would seem, we would deem as like a criminal act. Loving somebody, just loving them, having love for somebody that does not look like you mm-hmm. was deemed a criminal act. Which is, and you, like you think sometimes abstractly that that was so long ago, that was, you know, a different time, but it really wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> you was know, that was not that long ago. It was so long ago. Like there's people still alive that remember that. Yes. I know people that I've talked to and I've, you know, that I, I met that have parents that like were, were like in interracial marriages before it was legal wow. and they're still married and they're yeah. still together. Like, I mean. <laughs> it's so crazy. I know, like it shows, I mean, it shows like the, the small progresses that have happened, Mm -hmm. but as we know with anything that happened with Black Lives Matter, um, movement and the upheaval of buried stuff, we realize there's so much more to heal. Like there's like, there's so much more progress that needs to be made Mm -hmm. uh, to save people's lives. Yes. And, um, and you think of, yeah, like the whole loving act that made, you know, interracial marriages legal like like again like this wasn't long ago mm-hmm. there's still a lot of people who still feel that me me and my husband you and your husband shouldn't be together mm-hmm. there's still people that exist on this planet that still feel this way mm-hmm. so we, we we just have to just make them you know not the norm yeah keep them in their little fringe corners because they'll <laughs> never go away i don't know how you change somebody's heart mm-hmm. uh, but definitely um 
changing people's mind and views and kind of keeping the narrative alive of what histor- history was and where we are now can only lead us to not repeating it mm-hmm. and not getting to that, that place or not making racism the norm or making it just be normal and, and go back to that because it, it, it's fragile. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love what you said that everything sort of needs to be unearthed at this point so that we mm-hmm. can start to no. heal properly. Acknowledge. Mm-hmm acknowledgement heal like all that is so important in any sort of in in any sort of uh, society that wants to thrive mm-hmm. you want everybody to thrive of course. you want systems that were in place that was like like that were in place to actually oppress those need to be broken but they also need to be recognized first mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. people need to acknowledge it first and then we can work to actually dismantle some of these systems that are oppressive because everybody benefits when everybody does well everybody benefits of course well I've had so much fun tonight I feel like I've learned so much thank you for joining me oh my god thank you so much Billy you're doing such an amazing job I love this (laughs) Uh, you're a little sister I knew you since you were like (laughs) my high school days yes This is so amazing. I'm so happy for you. Well, thank you for taking part. Yeah. And I want to end on a little bit of fun. Okay. So I'm going to start with a couple rapid fire questions and then I want to sort of probe your mind a little bit. Okay. If you're game. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's do it. Okay. <clears throat> rapid fire. So water or land? Ooh. Oh. Land. I know I should say water, but I'm land. Okay. Apple or pineapple? Oh, pineapple. Your favorite drink? <gasps> Prosecco. Mm, okay. So I want you to imagine you're in a cafe anywhere in the world and you sort of hear like the clinkling of glasses being cleared, people chatting, maybe there's some music. What city are you in? Paris. <laughs> are you inside or outside? I am outside. What are you drinking? I am drinking, I am drinking, uh, wine, red and wine. Who are you with? I'm with my husband. What are you guys eating? I'm, we are eating. I'm having dessert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm having that custard, that kind of custard cake that they have at all of the boulangeries. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I'm guessing you're looking at the Eiffel Tower. I'm looking at the Eiffel Tower. Yes. Oh yes. Amazing. I love that. So romantic. Okay, and then if you were to describe yourself, your personality as a food, what would it be? Oh, a pepper. Hot and spicy. <laughs> yes. Hot and spicy girl, I'm fiery. You get I'm passionate. <laughs> I I just I love pepper. I love pepper sauce. I love hot. I love that. And my husband tells me every day how fiery I am. And yeah, that's that describes my personality. <laughs> I love it. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much, Shemaine. I had so much fun today. Oh my God, that was so, I love it. I love it. That was so good. Okay, well, I hope to chat soon and have an amazing night. <laughs>